The Matt Hasselbeck Show. Presented by Infinity of Bellevue and Linwood. Seahawks legend Matt Hasselbeck takes you inside the Seahawks and the NFL for a full hour. Exclusively on the Mike Sox Show. Matt, how are we doing this morning? What's up? Super Bowl week. Very exciting. It is pretty exciting, isn't it? I mean, like, uh, there's been so much other kind of junk around the NFL, but it is still the Super Bowl. It's a cool halftime show. SoFi Stadium's pretty amazing looking. It's pretty cool. I'm excited for the Super Bowl. Yeah, and, and and as you guys know, like if you've ever been to a Super Bowl, it's 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 about way more than just the game. Like there's so many things that kind of go on around that time. You mentioned halftime show; that's a huge deal. Even the commercials are fun to watch. Yeah, I mean it's a. How many Super Bowls have you been to? Let's see, three. Went to the one. Went to Super Bowl 18. My dad was with the L.A. Raiders. We beat the. Uh, the Washington Commanders? Did we beat the Commanders? <laughs> I don't think that, that was what they were called then, but yeah. No, it wasn't. But that was a great memory. Raiders were huge underdogs. My dad blocked an extra point in the game. Oh, that's awesome. I didn't know yeah, that. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it was really cool. The next Super Bowl I went to was my own. Um, okay. I guess it was 2006 in Detroit against the Steelers. And uh, and then I went to the 28-3 to game with all my uh, like a bunch of my high school buddies from Boston. And uh, and it was so funny because everyone around us left when it was twenty eight to three. Like Patriot fans, they took off. They were like spoiled Patriot fans, and they left. And I was like, uh, "Okay, the game's not over. I mean, <laughs> where are you going?" And sure enough, it was like this epic comeback. So, uh, yeah, I think those are the three I've been to. What were your friends doing during the comeback? Oh, they were loving it. You know, they were total Boston guys. Like, you know, you you literally can't tell. The difference between like Ben Affleck and them, like they just, you know, like they're, they're just way into it. Like the movie characters of Ben Affleck, right? Not obviously, ben Affleck. not the human. He, he's yes. he's kind of Hollywood, I would think, you know. But the the like the Goodwill Hunting version. Don't you of, get to know it. guys like Ben Affleck? I mean, with your level of fame and success, don't like Affleck and Damon and those guys. Don't you like get to know them? Yeah, that's like you, Salk. You're, you you're me. that guy. I'm not that guy. I don't know anybody. What are you talking about? Nah, I mean, listen, it, it is cool, like, you know, the uh, the the life that I've gotten to live through, you know, being able to play football and stuff like that. You have great experiences. You have cool opportunities to, to travel the world and meet people. That That is fun. But but ultimately, the, the most fun that I've had is just being with the guys that I went to kindergarten with and first grade with and high school with and got my learner's permit with and, you know, being at a game with those type of guys. Yeah. That's, uh, that's, that's more fun than anything. Did you hear – that's awesome, by the way. Did you hear that our guy Justin – is going to go to the game that he got a ticket. I did hear that. Yeah, congratulations. Yeah. And, and I'm actually going to this game as well, Justin. I'm yes. taking my uh, taking my son, who is a, this is weird to say, I think I've told you guys, he's a lifelong Bengals fan. Like, even when I was playing for the Seahawks, this dude loved the Bengals. And it's because he we went to a, I don't know, it was like a birthday party out in Issaquah, and there's like a Bengal Tiger Zoo there kind of thing. And he just always loved the Bengals huh. and suffered through many years of that. Yeah. And uh, so he's, he's super fired He up. was pumped when Hoosh came to Seattle, huh? Uh, I don't know. I don't know that he cared so much about the players. Okay. I think it was just more of a mascot in uniform thing when yes. he was that age. But uh, we, we've we've obviously now he's a fan of the quarterback and the wide receiver and the running, you know, all that stuff. 
I want to ask you a bit about the game and about the Bengals in particular. I also should mention that we're going to see if uh, we can open up some phone lines to talk to Matt at 930. So uh, we can open them up now if you got something you want to say to Matt. 206-421-3776. If you got questions for him or comments or you know something that we've talked about on the show, something you want to follow up on, question about his career, someplace that maybe I didn't think of here in the course of the last uh, however many weeks this has been now since the show started, since the beginning of football season, uh, 206-421. 213776 we'll uh, we'll take some calls with Matt coming up by 930. Uh well let's start with the game since that's kind of where we uh, already were. When you when you look at these two teams, Rams and Bengals, how much do you think they have in common versus how much do you think is different about them? Yeah, they're really different teams to me. Um you know, in a lot of different ways. I mean, you got a team with the Rams that's like all first-round picks. They go out and get like really huge-name people in free agency: Von Miller, OBJ, Matthew Stafford. Like you know, trades like all that kind of stuff. And then then you got the on the other side, a team basically of no-name defense, like mid-value uh, free agent type people. And then you know, like honestly, just like a team that was in last place in their division week nine. Like, it's just like, you're not supposed to be here. What's going Like, like we get it, but, but you're not supposed to be here. And a very, very young team. Like they're all like 25 or younger. So I think, uh, I think LA has to be the favorite in this game. I'm not saying that's how I think it'll go necessarily, but uh, it just feels like two very, very different uh, situations. We were kind of going through how much, so the Rams traded away, right? Seven years worth of first round picks, right? In order to build a team like this, the Bengals haven't done that, but they've spent in free agency. It's like well over 200 million just in the last two years combined, you know, of those two approaches, which makes more sense to you? Yeah, well, they, there's always a sneaky thing about that. Like, even with Tampa last year, right? They win the Super Bowl, and everyone had this, like, idea that Tampa just bought their Super Bowl. They went out and got a quarterback, a tight end, and a wide receiver, and that's how they did it. But but really, the bulk of their team was drafted people. You know, and like this, it's a similar thing with the Rams. They've traded away all the first round picks, but this is a team that has the six most pick, six most amount of picks, uh, since 2016. Like they're, they're, they're sneakily building it through the draft. And then they've gone and gotten these huge, huge chess, chess pieces with like Jalen Ramsey and Vaughn Miller. And so I think it's a little bit of both and, and, and for the Rams anyway. And for the, for the Cincinnati Bengals, it would be easy to sit there and say like, oh wow, this team strictly did it through the draft, you know, from going all the way back to Tyler Boyd and then all the way forward to Jamar Chase. But, but really that's, that doesn't really tell the whole story because on defense, they, they're just basically all free agents, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and so I I don't know. I, I think, I don't think there's like, I don't think it's so simple that you could just put it in a box. I think ultimately you got to have those splash players. Yes. But then building through the draft is, uh, is a certain is, you know, obviously it's the way to go giving up all your first rounders. If this works for the Rams, then I think that's a trend that you'll continue to see other teams try. to. Well, and it's also sort of, I saw somebody point this out the other day and I I thought it was, it was sort of eye opening for me is that yes, they've given up all the first rounders, right? Seven straight first round picks that they will have traded away for players. But they've stockpiled late round picks and they've Mm -hmm. really it's not like they've had drafts of zero guys. They're still drafting a lot of players. They're just not drafting at the top of the draft. Exactly. And, And basically they're saying other teams are overvaluing what may or may not be when it comes to first rounders. 
you know, when you hear, like, when you hear, oh, you get the fifth overall pick, you're like, whoa, I got a Hall of Famer. Well, no, no, you don't. Not necessarily. I mean, I even remember the trade that, that brought me to Seattle. The trade that brought, brought me to Seattle involved me and Steve Hutchinson in, in a roundabout way. And the Green Bay Packers got this guy named Jamal Reynolds from Florida State. He's supposed to be the next Reggie White. I think he was active for less than five games in his entire NFL career. And he got picked at like five or six overall. And we got Steve Hutchinson at pick 17, you know, and me. So like, it was kind of a, like we get a hall of fame guard. You get a guy that never really never even plays, but because you valued like what was behind door number two in terms of like that fifth overall pick. So mm-hmm. the Rams seem to have said, seem to have said, you know what, let's make, Let's make an investment in guys we already know can play. Jalen Ramsey, Vaughn Miller, OBJ. And, and I think what also comes with that is name recognition right off the bat for a city that's trying to make a splash, for a team that's trying to make a splash in their new city. I mean, you've seen some of their home games. There's more Seahawk fans than Rams fans. There's more Niners fans than Rams fans. Like that, that's something that they're trying to fight as well. And they go out and get like this big, big names ultimately is it helps them kind of accomplish two goals on the field. And talking to Matt Hasselbeck, of course, here on Wednesday, uh, as we've done every Wednesday throughout the football season. Matt, what do you like most about Joe Burrow? And I know you like him a lot, so this could be a while, but what do you like about Joe Burrow? Yeah, I, I think he reminds me so much of Aaron Rodgers in that he has absolutely no flinch in him. Like, they're down, like the Kansas City game at the end of the regular season, they're down 14 nothing. So what? Like he he does no flinch. They're down twenty one to seven at halftime. So what? Like like I'm not gonna flinch. Like my confidence isn't shook. Um, and so they, there's that that I love about him. But the the details and his fundamentals are so impressive. Like I've done a few tapes on him this year for our Sunday countdown show, where I'm just just little things about the technique in the pocket, uh, his accuracy. Like you guys know, like my, my least favorite term in all of sports is 50, 50 ball. I played five years of college football, 18 years in the NFL. I've never once in my life heard a quarterback coach in a quarterback room ever use the term 50, 50 ball. It's stupid. Okay. There's precision when you're coming to, when you're talking about throwing a back shoulder fade or a, uh, a go route. And Joe Burrow does those things, whether someone coached him or whether it's natural, he does those things so, so well. And, uh, I, so those are two of my favorite things about him. You know, I was thinking of last week how you mentioned coachability, uh, when I asked for your, your most important NFL quarterback attribute. And so, uh, right after you and I talk on Wednesdays is generally when Brock and I record our podcast. So I brought that back to Brock and see if he could guess what you had said. Uh, and he could not. He went for a while and named all the various abilities, but couldn't come up with coachability. And when I, when I mentioned it, he kind of chuckled, thought for a moment and said, and, and I would assume that you would agree with this. He said, yeah, it's interesting. Matt says that because it felt like something he really needed to learn when he first came to Seattle. And he was retelling some stories of of you sort of being like, hey, look, I'm on page 12 of the playbook and Holmgren kind of being like, hey, yeah, that's cool, Matt, but we got to go back to page one. And then it took you some time and talking to Jim Zorn, et cetera, to kind of figure that out yourself. Yeah, I'm smiling, laughing right now and embarrassed at how bad I was. And I might have felt like I was on page 12 and I was probably on page four. So, uh, <laughs> you know, like 
I, I think there's an element of my life experience that would have me answer that question that way because I know that was really what helped me um, eventually really kind of turn the page and turn the corner as a player. But I also think just looking back at the time that you asked me, we were kind of in Tom Brady land, Tom yeah. Bradyville. Like, is all we were talking about was Tom Brady, Tom Brady. Is anyone ever going to be as good as Tom Brady? What makes Tom Brady so great? And, and I think you had asked me the question about – legacy and stuff like that. And sure. I'm like, like what would, how would Tom Brady answer that question? Like, I know exactly what he would say. He would be in the moment. He would be talking about the next play, not the play that just happened. Never mind the Super Bowl that just happened. So I had just gotten off the phone with the quarterback coach for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers right before that. And it was just amazing to me to hear him talk about of all the different people that he's coached and of all the people that he's currently coaching from Blaine Gabbert to Tom Brady to whoever else is in that quarterback room. Like the, the common thread that through the, through the conversation was kind of like, it just blows me away at how coachable this guy is. He's like, it's just wants to learn, wants to get better. It's not, not about him. Like, Hey, let me tell you, I've got seven Super Bowl rings. I'm the greatest of all time. Here's how we're going to do it. It's more like, Hey, I'm going to humble myself and, you know, do everything you say to do. What do you think I need to work on? And I'll just do it. And it's just, it just like a, a refreshing thing. Cause when you look at a lot of the quarterbacks around the league right now who are really, really talented, some of them just the, the fundamentals and the technique are just, uh, it's like they're, they're too good to be coached or something like that and it's uh it, it kind of makes sense why their careers are sort of uh a little more sporadic than say a guy like tom brady well and maybe we're seeing some of that now and I, i'm not going to put words in your mouth but when i when we watch what's going on in arizona with kyler murray and kind of the whole social media thing you know when he's on the verge of maybe a big payday next year you know th- there's probably still some of that i, I mean you, you certainly aren't alone in, a, in being a headstrong confident young quarterback right and that seems like it's a fairly normal occurrence. Yeah, that was an interesting. Uh, that was interesting. I, I saw the, the, you know, some of those reports and all that. And you know, who knows? Like some some of these guys don't even right. control their own social media, and you know, who knows what the motivations are for that? Sometimes, honestly, sometimes when it comes to contract negotiation, I've been in contract negotiations where literally the agent that I had at the time would say to me, "You need to seem really, really upset to the team." I'm like, oh, okay, well, I'm really not that upset. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you need to seem really upset. I'm like, uh, okay, that'll help me negotiate. I'm like, uh, all right, like, I, this is weird. Okay, fine. You know. So, so did like, you do who, it? Did you manage to find a way to seem upset? Yeah, I did. I, I did, and it was a stupid thing. All it did, you know what it did? It ruined my relationship with Mike Holmgren for like the first two years. I'm like, this is really stupid. What am I doing? So finally, uh, finally, because I'm. Um, eventually, I'm like one of those people who's like eventually smart, not smart right away. <laughs> so eventually, I took, the, I started talking to my wife about this instead of about my at, at the time. My and, agent and let me guess, she's this. not eventually smart. She's just smart. She was like, uh, basically, you're a dumb. I mean, can I say this? Uh, uh, the, let's she anyway. Uh, <laughs> she, she put me in my place. <laughs> she's she called me Mr. Dumas. If you know what I'm saying. I get that. Yes, Mr. Dumas. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Yes. And you were like, oh, okay, let me let me go back to being me rather than what my agent wants me to be. Here, here's, the, here's the hilarious part about it. When Mike Holmgren and me, our relationship really, really like took off in a positive way, it was mostly because he was getting the same advice from his wife and I was getting the same advice from my wife. And then we finally <laughs> talked. It was like, wow, okay, we should have done this earlier. It's great. Thank so, you. So what does it mean then, Matt, to be an all-time great? This came up this week. I don't know if you saw the Ryan Clark comments that he said Russell's not an all-time great. So – 
What does it mean to be an all-time great? Yeah, you know, I saw that I didn't see the context fully, and I know how those shows work. Usually there's uh, like, hey, let's see, what kind of topic can we get that we can sort of like not everyone would agree on? And, you know, the, the part of it for me that, that, uh, that I caught that I sort of agreed with is that in football, there's this idea that if you just get this one player, you're going to go win the Super Bowl. And, like, I don't care who you are as a player. Like, that's a really, really hard thing. Like, Tom Brady, the, the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers didn't just add Tom Brady, and then they won the Super Bowl. Right. Uh, they were a team that had a great defense the year before, had a really awesome offense the year before, but their quarterback, while he threw 30 touchdowns, he happened to throw 30 interceptions. So the thinking was, hey, if we could get our quarterback to throw 30 touchdowns and, say, 15 interceptions, like, we'd be, you know, a much better team. We'd be a playoff team. We'd be contending and you know Brady gave them much more than that and what he also brought was a lot of hype a lot of national exposure a huge business they started selling out their stadium they started selling out their suites they started selling out all kinds of stuff you know they bring Gronk comes out of retirement Antonio Brown wants to go like it just was like a great move for the organization so I think there's this like thought that like oh shoot that's what other teams need to do and, you know, you name the team, and then they start thinking about who the, some of the top quarterbacks in the league are, from Aaron Rodgers to Russell Wilson to Deshaun Watt. Like, the names are just out there all the time. And so I think that's, like, where the discussion comes from. And so I can't speak to Ryan Clark's comments because I didn't see the full extent mm-hmm. of them. But, you know, the all-time I think you got thing, it, though. I mean, I, I by the way, I totally agree with everything you said. It's a lot of what I said yesterday on the show. It's like there isn't any quarterback in the league where you put them on the Jets and they win the Super Bowl. Like you got to have a, a, a roster around you. Now, if you put Russell Wilson on the Broncos or the Titans or the Niners, do I think that they'd be better than they were this year? Yes. Do I think they could be a Super Bowl team? Absolutely. I mean, that just that seems like yeah. common sense. Well, yeah. Listen, I'll, to, 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 to clarify where I think, like, is he an all-time great player? Yes, he is. Like, no one can ever take away the legacy part of it. Where I felt like I was reading between the lines with what Ryan Clark said was Ryan Clark's a guy that watches a ton of tape. He watches a lot of film, and I think he does a good job of watching film through the lens of these are nameless faces, Mm -hmm. meaning like I don't care what the jersey number is. I don't care the decal on your helmet, and I don't care the, the last name on your jersey. I'm just watching the football of it, and that's usually how football players are trained to watch football. When he watched the season that was had this year, it wasn't that impressive. You know, like it, it, that, that, that's just the facts. Now it could be surgery on a finger. It could be a lot of different things, but that's where, that's where one of the things that he's coming at. And, and he has said similar things about guys that are hall of fame players. And, and I think that's just the thing, you know, I, I'll use one quick example as like, we were going, we were going up against champ Bailey, who I think is one of the all time great defensive backs in NFL history. Like one of the toughest guys to go up against when I, when I was playing. And he was playing for the Denver Broncos at the time. And the way we would do scouting reports is we would say, hey, we're going to throw at 24 today. And it was like later in his career. He couldn't run quite as much. He was taking gambles and guessing a little bit more. But it would have been so weird for us to say, hey, we're going to pick on Champ Bailey today. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, you don't pick on Champ Bailey. But because we were just studying the recent four-game tape of what he had put out out there, the way we were talking, it was like, hey, we're going at number 24. And that was it. And it made perfect sense. So, uh, did it work you know, or did, was he still Champ Bailey? Heck, no, nah, heck yeah, it worked. It, <laughs> it was, it was great. Now, now it, it was, it was Andrew Luck at the time. 
And, uh, but, but like, that's, that's the way that you study film and, and you're kind of only as good as your last sort of like whatever month you've had. So, you know, fair or unfair, sometimes the injury plays into it. The team you're playing on plays into it. You've got, you got issues all around. So, you know, I don't know that that's, uh, it's an, it's, it's interesting, like sort of like TV and radio talk, but, but honestly, like, I don't think there's any disputing what kind of player Russell Wilson has been and, you know, probably will be in the future. We've been talking a lot here about the defensive coordinator and just sort of how to run Pete's defense moving forward. And and I'm quite confident that Pete will never, ever buckle or compromise on sort of these core tenets of stop the run, make sure you don't get beat deep over the top, right? Have a deep safety to make sure he's always deeper than the deepest. Those seem to be core tenets of Pete's defense that will never change. But He's also shown, it seems like, some willingness to start looking in some other directions, some other systems, whether it's the Vic Fangio system or uh, he may end up bringing in a guy, it looks like, who was at Alabama the last couple of years uh, with, uh, you know, with Saban and that system. How much does mixing together people from different defensive or even offensive philosophies work in the NFL? Yeah, it can definitely, as long as everyone has a low ego and they're willing to work together and they're on the same page. And, you know, like you mentioned, some of those core tenants that people talk about, like you can talk about them all you want, but if you're not doing them, then it's stupid to talk about them. You know, like you can say, oh, we're never going to get beat deep. You could say that all the time. You could have it printed on the wall in the locker room, in the building. But like, if you continually get beat deep, then, you know, sort of talk is cheap about that. You know, there's colleges all around America that have the Pete, the Pete Carroll slogan. It's all about the ball, but they don't, tur- they don't create turnovers on defense. So it's not all about the ball. Like when I went to Tennessee, we had one slogan, literally one slogan. Mike Munchak, the head coach, his slogan was be a pro. Like, be a pro. Like, whatever that means to you, be a pro. And I can promise you, when I got there, it was like, that is not at all how it was going down. <laughs> like, we had dudes showing up hungover and not showing up at all, like, to work. It was like, wait, what? be a pro. Like, be a pro is what we needed and is what we kind of sort of started to get to. But that, that wasn't what was going on. So, like, the, the I, talk is cheap in that regard. In terms, of, in terms of Pete, I think he's the best I've been around in terms of setting a message for what what's important and what's not important and so i've i have full confidence whatever he he deems are the real things that matter mm-hmm. and i would imagine turnovers and, and sometimes to get turnovers you got to take chances and you got to be a little bit more aggressive so that fits into my the vic fangio you know style that you kind of mentioned that vic fangio style is uh to the dbs educated guessing is how we want you to play we want you to take educated chances, and uh, and f- for a quarterback going up against that, hey, that that's that's dangerous. You you don't you don't love going up against that. I love it. We're gonna see if we can open it up a little bit, Matt, uh, to some folks and let them talk to you. I got a couple people hanging online already, and uh, we'll open up the uh, lines for a few more. Two zero six four two one three seven seven six. Hopefully, you guys have been listening to Matt over the course of the entirety of this football season. I have learned a tremendous amount about the game, about Matt's experience, about the uh, Seahawks before I got here to Seattle. Uh, it's been awesome. I've really enjoyed this. So we will uh, open it up to you guys. Two zero six. Four two one three seven seven six. If you can grab a few of your calls with Matt, and we'll do it next. It is the Matt Hasselbeck Show here on seven ten ESPN Seattle. The Matt Hasselbeck Show, presented by Infinity of Bellevue and Linwood, every Wednesday from nine to ten, powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio on seven ten ESPN Seattle. 
All right, well, we uh, before we start ranking things here in about 10, 15 minutes, we thought we would give you guys a little opportunity to chat with Matt. Matt Hasselbeck's been doing this all football season long, spending Wednesdays at 9 o'clock with me for an hour. It's been a ton of fun. I feel like I've, I feel like I've learned a lot about uh, Matt's life, about uh, time here in Seattle, about how to play the game of football. There's a lot of great stories as well. So let's turn it over to you guys because I've been – Asking and peppering Matt with questions here for uh, however many months now. So we'll give you guys a shot. 206-421-3776. We'll start off with Austin, who's in Walla Walla, one of my favorite callers. Austin's a good dude. Austin, uh, you're on with Matt. Go ahead. Foremost, Matt, I just want to say thank you as a 12 fan. Uh, You are awesome to watch. uh, Beginning my football watching, I watched you. It was awesome, and I'm so glad that you are in the ring of honor. Uh, I have just a quick couple of questions for you. So first one, I always wondered who matched your intensity in the huddle because you were a firecracker in there. And then two, not when you were with the Seahawks, when you, when you were with Tennessee, you kind of got back at the Steelers. On the, you guys were huge underdogs in that game. And you came back and won against the Steelers, and I was so happy. And I just always wondered how you felt kind of getting back at the Steelers since I just despise them. So I just want to get your <laughs> answers on those. All right. There you go. All right. Thank you, Austin. Great, great, great stuff, Austin. I appreciate it. Listen, in the huddle, Robbie Tobeck, our center. You know, there's a thing in, in, in like huddles where the quarterback gets the play, steps out to get the play, and then someone takes over in that huddle. So I'm not in that huddle, but I know it's Tobeck. I know he's the one energy, tempo, yelling at people, you know, kind of like that, that kind of thing. And then when the quarterback steps in the huddle, this is all teams, pro, high school, everybody, basically everyone gets quiet and the quarterback's the only person talking because they're given the play. And so, but like Tobek was just an amazing leader that way. And always, you know, he would get on me even like it was, it was a good thing. It was like a really, it was a helpful thing to have a veteran guy like that. Uh, to your question about the getting back at the Steelers, I don't know why it felt so good to beat them, but it, it really did. It was a Thursday night football game and it was Dick LeBeau and, you know, really good coaching staff and, and, uh, and they brought a blitz. And I think I told the story on this, on this show. Like I knew they were coming with it. They had a short week. So it was like, like uh, a little bit easier for me to prepare for him. And I hit Jared Cook, who's still playing for the Chargers now. I hit Jared Cook on this play where James Harrison was in coverage. And uh, it was a huge, it was just like, it's just a great feeling. And then Rob Baronis, who's who's now deceased, was our kicker and came through with a clutch, clutch kick. And post game, I'm like on the podium there with Deion Sanders and Coach Mariucci and all those guys. And I've got my son Henry out there. And it was like I, I felt like we had won some huge trophy or something. It was just a Thursday night football game. But as everyone in Seattle knows, uh, that's that Super Bowl really hurt. And, uh, you know, anytime you can beat the Steelers, it, it definitely feels good. And that one was uh, that was special. Richard Sherman said that uh, everyone was just happy to be there. I don't know if you heard. Did Everyone you, was happy to be where? At what, that what Super Bowl. He said uh, Seahawks fans were just happy to be there and that they weren't really that upset that the team had lost. Oh, uh, well, you know, I, 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 he's, you know, I, I like Richard, but that, that, that's not the case, obviously. <laughs> I, you know, honestly, I think there were a lot of lessons learned from our Super Bowl, though. Uh, you know, one, it was in Detroit and, you know, we were outmatched in terms of like fan, um, attendance in a way, like the Steelers fan, like we, we, we went silent count in that Super Bowl because, you know, there were so many Steeler fans, and yeah. they, they always travel well. But that I'm getting goosebumps right now even thinking about this. That Super Bowl in New York, the next Super Bowl, when early in the game the snap goes over Peyton Manning's head, 
because of the crowd noise, the Seattle fans, the 12s were so loud. It was like amazing. It was like, oh, yeah, we, we kind of learned the hard way that like, hey, crowd noise can be you can have a home field advantage at a Super Bowl. And then, you know, basically the 12s brought it to New York City. And and that was like such a huge play early in that yeah. game. And uh, it, the game wasn't even a contest. So, um you know, should have started with silent. I was thinking about telling you that. You know, start off silent while they're all hyped up. You know, I love that clip. Yeah. All right, two zero six four two one three seven seven six. Let's grab Kyle, who's in Puyallup. Kyle, you're on with Matt Hasselbeck. Hey, Matt. I'm a dad with four young kids, and I was wondering what's one of the great things and one of the not so great things about being a dad playing in the NFL. Uh, hey Kyle, good, good, good question. Uh, I'll say this. The great thing is when my kids were little, when my kids were little, like, didn't matter how poorly a game went. Like, it really did not matter. Like, uh, it could be three interceptions and a tough loss. You come home and you got those, for me, it was little girls first. You come home and your girls give you a hug. They're just so happy that their dad's home. They're not, booing you and you know cursing you out and all that kind of stuff so like that's a that's a beautiful beautiful feeling uh that's a great thing one of the worst things is when your kids are older and you're 40 years old and you're now you know still playing in the nfl and uh you know maybe you'll lose a game like i remember losing a monday night football game against the steelers uh at the end of my career and and now my girls who are in like seventh and eighth grade they come home like dad all the boys at school said that you sucked last night <laughs> it's like, it's like uh, oh, no. okay so what how do i do this do i go like try to rough up some junior high boys yes do exactly I, what you do. Yeah. Can, can Convince my daughters that I didn't stink right. that night, you know, like, uh, or do I admit that, yeah, you know what, uh, I wasn't very good last or night. Or just invite you those know. kids over to the house and watch them be starstruck and not be able to talk for the next 20 minutes while their voice cracks because they're in seventh grade. I miss your Hasselback. It's really nice to meet you. Do that yeah. thing that Peyton Manning did on SNL. You just take him out for a game of football. <laughs> start throwing balls at him. It's like, well, who sucks now? But right. but, tr- but but truly, one of the things is you got to kind of rise above those situations as a player. And that, I, I trained myself to do that. It's not that like I can do that. Not a problem. But when it starts affecting like your children, mm-hmm. like your especially your teenage daughters, that that's that's a lot tougher. All right, let me grab Jesse in Mill Creek. Jesse, go ahead. You're on with Matt. Matt, Mike, how you guys doing, man? Good. I love the uh, love the stories, and I got one for you guys as well. Um, it was uh, it's regarding a beast quake. We were actually going up. I was in uh, L.A. and my brother was in Vegas, but we grew up in Seattle. We met in town for the uh, the game the year before with Leon Washington, where he ran back two kick returns for touchdowns. Um, my brother ended up missing that game because he got hit by a car the night before. Um, oh. Fell off of a a 40-foot bridge and collapsed on the sidewalk down below, broke Whoa. like half the bones in his body. It's pretty pretty crazy. He was in surgeries all day the day of the game, and uh, so he told us to go to the game and, you know, to win it for him. And so we went, and just to keep the story short for you, flash forward, um, he was bedridden for a year, and we, uh, we decided we were all going to get together and take him to a game once he was able to get on a walker. And so um, it ended up being the, the Beastquake game, and we were down, you know, we were 12-and-a-half-point dogs and playing a Super Bowl chance, and we are like, you know, there's no way it's going to be as good as the Leon Washington game, but, you know, we'll take him to a game. It'll still be fun. Wow. And it uh, turns out that game was Beastquake, and uh, we had we went all in, and we were 50-yard line, and he was running right in our face. And 
just seeing you run down there and lay down those blocks downfield and the way we came back and we won that game um, just kind of helped him in his recovery of, of uh, you know, realizing anything's possible. And, and uh, if you uh, really put in the effort, you can get your life back and, and uh, succeed. And he's 100% now. And But that, that moment, you know, was just uh, I get tears in my eyes every time I see that run and that game. Um, so I just wanted you to know that, there's a lot of crazy stories out there regarding that game, but uh, I have my own and want to tell you that you are a uh, all-time great, my friend. Wow, thanks, Jesse. That's that's really cool. I'm I'm even more excited now, or more happy that I didn't get uh, an illegal block in the back call because <laughs> <laughs> that would have ruined what sounds like a really epic day. That mm-hmm. that was an incredible moment, and uh, you know, just uh, I've told people many times the atmosphere in that stadium right after uh, Marshawn scored that touchdown was as cool of an atmosphere as I've ever been or been or been a part of anywhere. I mean, NFC Championship game or or, or otherwise, it was uh, that was something. Special special that hopefully we never forget that's pretty good did you see uh did you see marshawn on murderville yet have you seen his acting chops here no but i've seen i've i have seen marshawn everywhere recently he's everywhere yes he's who who is this guy well you know he's uh, got social anxiety so he's afraid to go in front of the media but he's perfectly fine and going on all these shows so he did murderville with will arnett and he um it's all essentially improv. Moore was telling me that he, or maybe somebody was, maybe it was even Heather who was telling me that he did a bunch of stand up to practice for it. Yeah, my wife was telling me this that uh, he did a bunch of stand up to practice for his improv role in Murderville. How about that? Hmm. Well, it's cool to see that the guys like him, a lot of the guys that I played with in Seattle are having success, you know, kind of coming out of their shell from uh, obviously Nate Burleson's having a ton of success. Sure. Walter Jones was a guy that was super quiet when we played together. Uh, Michael Robinson. There's just a lot of guys that, uh, you know, kind of come in. Marcus Trufant's got a podcast. You know, like it's, it's cool to see success after football because when we were in it, a lot of guys – that came before us really struggled with their identity coming out of football and like what what am I even capable of doing after football and those kinds of things. So yeah. uh, the, cool. the Seahawks really worked at, at kind of helping guys be more well-rounded and helping with the transition. All right, so normally we rank things. I'm kind of tempted to keep taking phone calls because I'm really just enjoying sure. uh, letting yeah. you guys keep talking yeah. with Matt. So we'll take a quick break. I think we'll just come back. We get some more people on the line. Maybe we'll just take some more calls with Matt to finish this thing up. It is Mike Salk Show, Matt Hasselbeck, 710 ESPN Seattle. This is the Mike Salk Show. Powered through the Alaska Airline Studio. Back in mornings from 6 to 10. On 710 ESPN Seattle. And I'll thank our friends Baseball at Carter. may be embroiled in a labor dispute. All right. I'll thank our friends at Carter Volkswagen for uh, they sponsor the rank segment. No rank today. I just thought it'd be fun to take some more calls with Matt. Uh, final few moments here with Matt Hasselbeck for this season. A lot of you guys are on the horn, so I'll see if we can grab some of your calls. Uh, let's see who's been hanging on. I'll go to Brian, who's in Los Angeles. Brian, good morning. You're on with Matt Hasselbeck. Go ahead, quickly. Hey, guys, uh, real quick. Uh, good to see you. Um, Matt, I wanted to know, uh, with uh, Mike Holmgren, you know, when it was towards the end of his uh, tenure in Seattle, when did, when did the players really kind of know – uh, things are going south, and how does that correlate? Do you think right now with Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson and the rest of the players, like when when did you guys kind of realize things were things we, you guys needed to change? 
Yeah, uh, it's a good question. It's a, it's a long time ago, but yeah, you know, I remember obviously the big rift was uh, in 2006 when we lost Steve Hutchinson. Like that was a huge deal, and it, it, it for the very first time it felt like maybe there was like a little bit of an us versus them uh, in the building, maybe coaches versus scouts, um, which was an unfortunate thing. But to, credit to the coaches and to the scouts as a player, I never really felt it. You know, from that moment on, you know, I know there was a lot of outside talk about it, but I always felt like at least at work, we were pretty much on task. Uh, and we really thought Mike Holmgren would just had had enough of coaching at the time. And like, and he was going to just move on and retire. We bought him a Harley Davidson, uh, did like send him on his way and then, uh, you know, just thanked him for everything. But it was, uh, I, I thought it, I thought the I thought that everyone involved that you know was sort of like having philosophical differences did a good job of shielding us from it, um, but unfortunately I think like one of the lessons learned is like everyone's got to be all in together and see it the same way to uh, to have ultimately the kind of success that you're working towards. All right, let me see if we can grab one more. Steve has been hanging on in Spokane. Steve, good morning. You're on with Matt. Hey, good morning, guys. Hey, Matt, I really appreciate your delivery uh, all the time on the TV and radio. I got a question. You know, when, uh, you know, when we talk about uh, Russell and maybe the greatness and a lot of people say he needs two rings, I'm curious, like, what, what part does a coach's decision play in that? For example, you know, he had a, he, instead of feeding the beast on the last down, he threw a pick at the, you know, against the uh, New England Patriots, and he would have had two rings. And so, but, you know, uh, quarterbacks are always, you know, it's kind of like they're blamed for winning and, and uh, you know, they – you know, they'll say, hey, you know, hey, it's all about team, et cetera. But when is the coach's decision and the quarterback being the team player follow that decision to throw that pass when he's thinking, man, we should have run that ball? I mean, how does that come into the play when someone's, you know, being in the greatness cat, uh, discussion? Yeah, well, you know, the greatness thing is not something that I think the greats think about, ironically. You know, they just go about yeah. their business. But, but for us, for, for us, you know, talking about it, you know, it's an, it's an interesting thing. I mean, the, the, the example that comes to mind for me is Matt Ryan in the 28 to 3 sort of comeback that Tom Brady had. Like, why is Kyle Shanahan even throwing the ball in that situation? Why is Dan Quinn allowing Kyle Shanahan to throw the ball in that situation? Um, if, if literally if they just ran the ball every single time, if they just took a knee three times and punted, the Atlanta Falcons are probably Super Bowl champs, and Matt Ryan has a Super Bowl ring, and he would have beaten Tom Brady. And so, like, it's just part of sports, and it's part of, like, uh, it, it's part of what makes the conversation so interesting. But... Ultimately, Matt Ryan will take the blame for the the sack fumble that, in all honesty, wasn't wasn't fully his fault. But it opened the door for that twenty eight to three comeback, and now Tom Brady gets the credit, and Matt Ryan doesn't get the credit. And Matt Ryan's a guy that's never won a Super Bowl, and now Brady has all the ones that he has. So it's uh it's it, it's you're definitely reliant on the on the people around you as a quarterback on the field, but but for sure, uh, coaching staff as well. Yeah, it it seems like that sort of more and more what we are learning about the NFL in general too, right? I mean, you got to have the quarterback, but also the quarterback's got to have the coach and the help and the, and the defense and the, I mean, just, it it feels like, and you work together. And like, even if you do everything right, look at Josh Allen, look at Josh Allen's season ended this year. And he played one of the most remarkable games that I've seen anyone play this entire year. Brian Dayball did a great job. And, you know, he went on, he's now head coach, but like 
they were losers. Like they lost. <laughs> like, but is it because they didn't play? Because they weren't good enough? No, they were definitely good enough. And then you got like Jimmy Garoppolo, who's moving on. It's like, okay, well, you know, it kind of goes back to our wins a quarterback stat. And like, I think they kind of are, but they they really shouldn't be as much as they are. Like, I think I don't they see, are. I don't. See, I think they yeah, are. I well, think they, they are. At the end I of mean, the day, the, the, those those so many NFL games come down to the final two minutes and what the quarterback does leading drives in those final two minutes will dictate a tremendous number of games. Does it? Is it? I don't know that it works in individual games. But I think over a longer period of time, quarterback wins end up mattering. It I didn't say it didn't matter. I didn't say it didn't matter. But like I've had plenty of times on a grade sheet where I didn't play great, we won. And I had a ton of times that I remember where it's like, yeah. "Hey, you did a great job today." It's like, uh, "Okay, thanks, coach, but we lost." <laughs> like, well, I mean, but then this isn't good. This doesn't work. Like, this doesn't work for me. Like my my goal is to win, not not to tell you have you tell me that we won because we didn't there's a scoreboard for that uh, it's tricky i don't know that's a good, it's a great question well matt, you were you were a quarterback winner here over the course of the last few months that's my last bad radio segue hopefully of the matt hasselbeck show uh we're coming to a close here so i just wanted to take a moment to say thank you this has been a ton of fun uh you know i've spent most of my time on radio working with uh, an ex-teammate of yours with a different quarterback and it was awesome for me just to get a completely different quarterback view of the world and kind of opened my eyes to some different ways of looking at the game the stories were awesome uh your your sense of humor and just the way you watch film and your takes in the game uh really fantastic so thank you so much for doing this over the course of the season hopefully you had fun as well yeah, I, I enjoyed it greatly. And, uh, you know, just really plugging back in with Seahawk fans is, it was super special for me. And, you know, kind of memory lane. It's almost, it was almost a therapy session at times, but, uh, <laughs> but definitely fun to talk football with you guys. And unfortunately, we got to do it in one of the kind of the down years of Seahawk football. I think we had high expectations. So hopefully they can get back on track and, and, uh, make this a lot more fun. Y- you are year. beloved here, man. I'm glad you got to reconnect with the fans as well. You, you kind of have that, you're, you've got a little of the Doug Flutie in Boston. Boston type of connection. <laughs> We're just like it doesn't matter what minus minus the mullet. Okay. Well, sure, and you know Doug's obviously got the the pass and all that, but I there's like that sort of similarity of like whatever you do, the fans are good with you. Like they just like you, and it's a great connection between you and the people here at Seattle. I love it. It's been a pleasure to be a part of it. So thank you very much, Matt. We appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, thank you. Right, it was fun. There Thanks, guys. Matt Hasselbeck, uh, all season long, he's been joining us. If you missed any of them, you can always go back and find them. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or 710sports.com. We will be back tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. Stick around for Jake and Stacy. Goodbye.